Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lenz, joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Now, Christian, don't you spilled it. <laughs> Watched that happen. <laughs> So, Christian, so tell, tell the beautiful people of our podcast audience what you're drinking while I get you a paper towel to wipe it off. I grabbed something from your mini fridge, and it is from the Mother Earth Brew Company. And it is a vanilla cream ale, and above it the words are Cali Creamin. Um, and and I, I can't believe I said the words Cali Creamin in... um. In, 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 in at all ever in my uh, life and that is your punishment for spilling beer thankfully only on the, the the card table here and not on your laptop which would have been a shame that would have been really bad well there's a picture of of jim caviezel's jesus on here <laughs> right in front of him he would have been upset uh, he would have been <laughs> the, the lord is watching christian of course jim caviezel is on christian's computer because our january with jesus continues as we Go from one serious, dense, thoughtful film to arguably an even more serious film, which is Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, which should be an interesting conversation today, Christian. Um, I, um, I was reading up a lot. There's a lot to read about this movie. Uh, uh, and, 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 um, this is like... It, to, to say that this movie was divisive is, is, is an understatement. Yeah, the, the Passion of the Christ is a fascinating cultural object. It made bank. And it made bank to the tune of $612 million at the global box office. Like, oh my, and it had no major studio releasing it. Right, I mean, the fact that it's it was about... The passion was enough to scare off most major studios, and so Gibson himself produced it through his production company, self-financed with his own money. They used old sets from Scorsese's Gangs of New York. Yeah, they reused old sets. They filmed in Italy. It's a cast of very few recognizable stars, at least to a global audience. I'm sure there are plenty of Not actors who are Not a single more... word is in English. Not a single word is in English except the title card at the beginning of the movie from the Book of Isaiah. It is, it is not only not in English, it is in two dead languages. It's in Aramaic, which is the ancient Hebrew language, and Latin, Latin which is what the Romans speak, of course. Of so, course. Uh, well, I mean, it's what they spoke. So, I mean, Gibson is on the record, when he was doing press for this movie, saying why he self-financed it was that all of the studios were thinking logically and didn't want to produce a controversial movie with two, spoken in two dead languages. So, I'm very interesting. I'm, I'm, um, I think our buddy Paul Yoder said this very well last week, which is one of the reasons why the, the um, last, the, 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 the last temptation of Christ made bank because it was, you know, it had the name power of Christ in the title. I, this is more than that. This is... I mean, The Last Temptation of Christ was a modest success. You know, it made it made $33 million, I believe, on a $7 million budget. Whereas The Passion of the Christ made over $600 million on a $30 million budget. In terms it, of profitability, yes. the the X fact, exponential factor there is quite high. The Oh my... Um, okay. Uh, 
You sent me an outline. I haven't looked at it. Well, I looked at your opening question. Well, 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 listeners. Christian disregarded my outline. Who could have seen this coming? Not me. This is betrayal of the highest order. My very own Judas Iscariot, in fact. You sent it to me three hours ago. That is not true. Three hours ago was 4.41, Christian. And I sent this outline to you. Yes. At one o'clock in the afternoon. So it's been over six and a half hours. Okay. Twice what you estimated. That's... That's true. That is on me. That so is on me. Let You're me, correct. Let me walk the listeners through this here, of You're course. You're correct. If you missed our episode last week where we did a little bit of a prelude, or you're just generally unfamiliar with The Passion of the Christ outside of name recognition, yes, directed by Mel Gibson, his follow-up to Braveheart, although it did not come out until, I believe, nine years later, Braveheart being a Best Picture winning success, Gibson mostly acted in between then. He was in Signs, which is a movie that we reviewed last year. Indeed, during our M. Night Shyamalan blend, which is okay, fun. Okay, let's also give this caveat. Um, you say Mel Gibson and a lot of people are going to cringe. Yes, I'm glad you bring this up. Because Gibson is a much more controversial figure now than he was in the, even in the past. I mean, this movie is sort of chased by some comments that he made after it came yes. out. Um, notably, in 2006, Gibson made some anti-Semitic comments during a traffic stop where he was pulled over for driving under the influence, and it fell in with some uh, other racially insensitive comments he had made about other people groups in his past, and so a lot of people, both at the time of this movie's release and since he made those comments, have identified some potentially anti-Semitic elements in the movie here, and... Of course, it is up to your interpretation, I would say. Some prominent film critics said this was a, a an anti-Semitic film. Some did not agree. And so... Some prominent film critics think this is a perfect masterpiece. Roger Ebert himself... Gave it four out of four stars. And to the best of my knowledge, that man was not religious in any way. I think he was an atheist or agnostic. And still, he was a massive fan of the film. So... We bring this up about Gibson to say we're a prominent w- religious groups dislike this movie, and prominent religious groups went and saw it multiple times and had private screenings of it. Exactly. So bringing this up to say, obviously, we're talking about it in context. We're aware of what Mel Gibson has said, what he has done in his life to garner a controversial reputation, and especially in this movie about Jesus Christ, which features ancient uh, Hebrew people, ancient Romans. Um, and th- a bunch there are of white some, people too, and a bunch of white people bringing bringing those <laughs> ancient people groups to life. Um, aware of the comments that he's made, and but we'll maybe s- unpack some of that in our review. Not a single one of these white people had the Brooklyn accent that Harvey Keitel did. That you know, it, it is a feature um, of this movie. I would say all of them speaking these dead languages, <laughs> very different from uh, Scorsese. Not a single one of them is a redhead. No redheads to be found. Although one of them is Monica Bellucci. Which is honestly more distracting than red hair in, in ancient Israel. <laughs> um, I didn't even recognize her. What? <laughs> because I don't know who that is. Christian, you don't know who Monica Bellucci is? I'm sure I do. Give me a second. All right. Monica Open Bellucci Lincoln New Tab. Played Mary Magdalene in this film. She. Okay, so I, rem- I, I remember watching. Mary Magdalene in that movie. I would hope so, because she is featured quite prominently. <laughs> Although... Oh, course, she uh, was yeah. in uh, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. Was she the yes. wife of the one French dude? She is Persephone, the wife of the Merovingian. Yes. She also was in 
a James Bond film. It was, which one was it? It was the one after Skyfall, Spectre. She was in Spectre. I like Spectre. She has had a, a long career. Obviously appeared in a lot of Italian films. She's an Italian actress, but... Christian, that's your brief intro to Monica Bellucci. Shame on you for not knowing her already. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't know many people. Well, that's, I guess, my my. Um, you remember names, names way more than I do. Yes, will, will be an asset to this podcast. Sure. Other people featured here, of course, uh, Maya, uh, Maya Morgenstern, excuse me, playing Mary, the mother of Jesus. And again, a large international cast a lot of people who have had long careers as actors but are not particularly known to american audiences Let, let's 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 say something else too jim caviezel if you know things about him there he, he is also not without controversy yes jim caviezel uh, this is maybe the, the peak of his movie stardom honestly he Came up in the 90s, had some big roles in the 2000s. I know I've seen him in The Count of Monte Cristo. I, rem- I like The Count of Monte Cristo. I like him in The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. He also appeared uh, in The Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick's film. He appeared in Wyatt Earp in the 90s. And of course, he appeared in Sound of Freedom. And yes, his most recent big role, big financially successful role, was in Sound of Freedom last year. We and need to have not on not on air. We need to have a discussion about the ethics of Sound of Freedom, like <laughs> not on air because because I don't want to have the pressure of knowing people are going to listen. But like, it, it's pure fiction. Yes. However, it's not badly made. Right, and I think that was the the source of some of the controversy is that Sound of Freedom, from all accounts, is a competently made film. And although... Tim Ballard isn't like a. Good guy. Right. Um, he is... Tim Ballard has been in the news after the movie um, for some, I believe... Sexual misconduct. Yes. Uh, and, of course, Caviezel playing him said it was the second most important movie he ever made after The Passion of the Christ. So... You can... Okay, look. You can you you can say that... You, you can say that and maybe that's important to him. Like, that's... To me, that's not the source of controversy. The source of controversy to me from Jim Caviezel is him speaking to QAnon. Yes. Jim, Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard both have some connections to QAnon, shall we say. And yeah. it it, it uh, hangs over <laughs> their decision to make that movie, um, unfortunately. So, Caviezel, of course, not without controversy, but he and Gibson are both devout Catholics. And that very much informed their desire to make this film. If you look at... Actually, I'll say this. I remember when this movie was coming out, my family briefly lived in California. I'm, I'm from Ohio originally, but we lived for about 18 months in Southern California. And attended a church at the time that... Uh, I'm not sure the extent of it. I'm not, I don't think they did a screening, but I think they did host Jim Caviezel for some kind of con- conversation. And I was too young to see the movie at the time. This is a very R-rated film in terms of its violence and its, you know, the, the graphic nature in which Jesus is tortured. Um, but Caviezel did speak at the church my family attended. And my mom, uh, and I think my parents attended that, and she told me, as I told her I was about to watch this movie, that she remembered him talking about his role and how it was it was like a profound spiritual experience for Caviezel to play the part of Jesus and to be so connected to his faith and playing Jesus dying on the cross really made a, a massive impact on him and so I, I know when that it's he something, says that I believe know, him though I so do, do I, 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 I'm, I'm I do. saying that like I believe it too like I'm, I have no doubt that the fact that he and Gibson are so close to their faith was so important to them making this movie yes. and also making it the way they did and I think you 
I think you it does come across how important this was for like for them to make. Um, look, I I want to jump into it. There is so much here. There there is so much here in terms of the controversy regarding um, anti-Semitism. There's so much here in terms of the controversy regarding do we did we it is this gratuitous violence or not? Um, there's, I, I think that part of that can feed into our discussion, our review of the movie, because part of it is going to be a, how do you view this telling of the story? But, um, the, up to you. Yeah. Just a few quick things in terms of, you know, any other background information, um, this was nominated for three Oscars. We it do was. like to call that out before uh, we start these discussions, uh, best Cinematography for Caleb Deschanel, who most people uh, may know as a cinematographer, but many others may know him as the father of Zoe and Emily Deschanel. Also nominated for its makeup and its score. So, again, just a, a very intriguing cultural object here, where massive box office success, some recognition from the Academy with multiple nominations, but a very mixed and uh, diver um, not diverse, but a uh, divergent critical reaction, and an enduring reputation for... Some reasons good and some reasons bad. And just as a, a final intro, I just want to say kind of the the general plot of the movie. In case anybody has not seen The Passion of the Christ and is listening out of curiosity, or if you have seen it, but or maybe you just are, are not even familiar with the the Christian you know theology. I know that was something we talked about a little bit last week, uh, talking about the last temptation of Christ. The Passion of the Christ refers to the period before Jesus is crucified. So this movie picks up in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is making his final prayers to God the Father. He is then betrayed, he is put on trial, he is tortured, and ultimately crucified. And the film depicts and dramatizes those events while With mixing interspersed in... interspersed flashbacks to yes. some of his life and ministry. Yes. Um, sermons that he gave, if you are familiar with the scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew... Um, the Last Supper, when he is taking communion, saying um, that people, when they partake in, in, in the wine and the bread, it is partaking in the message that he gave them. Um, and some of this, again, is not... This is, this is not a straight adaptation from the Bible. There are some fictional flourishes, especially in those flashbacks. In the, or in, 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 in the devil character being here. Yes, there is a... a somebody is playing Satan. And Satan lingers in the background of these events, again, for dramatic effect. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, and Satan watched Jesus be scourged or something like that. With that, Christian, yes. let's dive into our review. And here is my opening question to you. Again, this being January with Jesus, I do want to start with the portrayal. Compared to Willem Dafoe and Martin Scorsese's more internally tortured portrayal of Jesus, wrestling with his divinity versus his human nature, his his temptations, his desires. In The Passion of the Christ, we now have a Jesus whose external torture is viscerally and graphically portrayed. And I want to know how you felt about Caviezel's portrayal through it all, and if you'd like, how Gibson directed it as well. So he's white. Yes. Um... And, you know, I, I'll mention that in terms of Jesus is not white. <laughs> uh, yes. And, 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 and it, it is something that um, we are, we're, we're, we're looking at nowadays. Um, 
I loved it. I did. Um, this is not my full thoughts on the movie. I'm seeing the portrayal. Um, and I'm going to do you one better. The makeup on him. There is a shot that they keep coming back to. Which is um, one of his eyes is bogged down and he can't see straight through it. And the other eye is open. And it's almost like the definition of looking pathetic. And it's it elicited many emotions from me. Because Easter is one of it is the most important holiday in the Christian faith, and Easter has to do with the death of Jesus, um, him seeking to die in order to bring, like like a layman's terms, him dying in order to give hope to other people. Let's just go with that right now, um, and we are told that it is one of the worst. Well, that it is the worst thing that can ever happen to a person, and I will say. I, I think Caviezel's anguish, his, his, his like crying out, his, um, uh, what what is it? His like confidence in the words he's saying, but also the pain through which he's like gritting his teeth in it. Um, behind the scenes, he got struck with lightning while filming this movie. And yeah. the, the, the... Among other grievous injuries. Because... <laughs> He actually got struck by some of these things by accident as they were filming. Um, I, 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 I was moved by it, like, significantly. Um, and in terms of someone, not wrestling, but, but, but someone foreseeing how difficult this is and still choosing to go through it. And if you're asking me to compare this to Willem Dafoe's performance from last week... I, I do think this is significantly more believable for me. Um, what were your takes on the performance? I am not very experienced with Jim Caviezel. Like I said, I have seen The Count of Monte Cristo, but I saw that in high school yep. and I remember very little of it. And I think that's the only performance of his that I have seen, looking at his, his, just his quick filmography. So really not a ton of experience with him, but I found myself very impressed with, with his performance here. Um, like you said, acting under that makeup, dealing with the onset injuries that he experienced, illnesses too, according to some of the background information, empowering through that to capture the anguish, as you described, both externally crying out in pain, of course, but also internally. And I think... I did set it up as a bit of a comparison. So let me say, last week's movie, there is a much greater focus on Jesus's internal struggle and, and imagining it, fictionalizing it. But there is that is still present here. In opening, where they do on the Garden of Eden, Jesus is alone and in prayer, and you see visibly sweating, shaking, um, and, and, and like anguished without being in pain yet. And is so, so fearful almost. Maybe that's a heretical word to say, of course, but I don't know. But <laughs> fearful of what is to come, knowing what is to come. And I think this is a very consistent performance from Caviezel. And the flashbacks, I you know, it's nice to see him without fake blood all over him and these big gashes on his skin. 
and any other injuries, of course. He needed to have open heart surgery twice after filming. Which is just insane, like, how much this, this guy went through for this. Um, but some of those flashbacks, I think you do get lost a little bit in, in not necessarily because of his performance. It's partially because of his, the, like you said, like, this is a handsome white American man playing Jesus. And the, the hair is nice and lush in his flashbacks before it's sweaty and matted down with blood. And he's even got these contact lenses on, yep. which I, I don't... Like, looking at a picture of him, I think his real eyes are, are blue or green. And he's got these, like, glowing golden brown contacts in. <laughs> that I think, honestly, may have been an attempt to give him a sort of ethereal spiritual quality because his... The way that he looks uh, physically, like uses his eyes to see, is is so unusual because of those contacts. Without without being like alien or anything like that. So, I think in general, I, I really, I I can co-sign this performance. I, it is very effective. Are you down on the movie itself? I'm very mixed on the movie itself. Okay. I, I will say I lean negative, but I absolutely did not hate it. Um, I, I, I liked I some, it. I, I, yeah, I, I have some problems that I think they're not unique to me, and I don't even know how much you'll necessarily disagree. Sure. So, uh, oh yeah, like I totally understand why people love this movie and why people hate this movie, and I'm sort of in the middle, leaning negative, but not drastically. I think parts of this movie are definitely melodramatic. Yes. Um, and. I, I think I can understand when people are saying that the violence is dragging on, but it's also hard for me to distinguish that from, uh, well, they are going for kind of an adaptation of how long and torturous Jesus, the things that Jesus went through were and the crucifixion was. So... Me experiencing that and feeling like it was going on for a bit is also probably a minutia of what people at the time thought as they were looking at it at the, you know, they, they were like... At the oh, time, like in 2004 or like when Jesus was when being Jesus was being killed. <laughs> when Jesus was being killed. When Jesus was being killed. So um, that is the the... I, I, mm, I'm very mixed on Satan in yes. his, his performance. Be, or, no, her performance. Yes, notably her performance portrayed by a female actor, but she has a sort of androgynous appearance, a shaved head, and I, I think that was intentional. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, to to not portray Satan as like a manly man or anything like that. Also, not like a very you know womanly woman, but because. Satan comes in at the beginning and like harnesses a snake to go up to Jesus as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and it kind of like okay well see I think that's an interesting an interesting moment in the movie to bring up because one thing that Gibson and his co-writer here who is named Benedict Fitzgerald who has some screenwriting experience but also uh, you know works in translation i believe he was not the person who translated it into the original languages that was someone else but so his co-writer here they weave in a lot of scenes from 
you know, Catholic tradition and, and from theological tradition. Uh, many of the 14 Stations of the Cross, which people might be familiar with, are featured in the movie uh, of uh, most of them as Jesus is making his uh, way to the cross. And they, uh, they mix in a lot of these little biblical moments. And there is a prophecy in the Bible, and I'm forgetting where it is, so correct me if you remember it, Christian, but essentially... Uh, actually, it might be in Genesis, where the snake who has tempted Adam and Eve into eating the fruit and sinning against God, and God casts them out. I mean, he's, um, and, and the snake is also a stand-in for the devil. It is understood to be, and he right. is cursed to slither for the rest of his days, basically. Yes. Yes. And there, there is a, as part of this like prophecy that um, God is saying to, these, to the snake, in particular, he says... Um, that referring to the future Messiah, that you will strike, you know, you will strike him, but he will like, you will bite him, but he will strike you with his heel. I'm forgetting the actual biblical language, but in that moment, this snake does slither at Jesus and maybe tempting him to despair or something like that. And Jesus does use his heel to crush this, like the snake's neck and kill it. And that was one of those first things that I did pick up on with my with my upbringing, my background, my faith, like understanding some of these moments from the Bible, I definitely didn't catch it all. There are some that I think are much more, again, steeped in the Catholic tradition. I have a Protestant background where Gibson and others are drawing from, but that is one of those moments. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those where you need to find the balance between how this is working as an adaptation because they've taken several liberties. And Gibson was on the record as saying, look, um, as long as what I put on screen does not contradict what the Bible itself says, I am okay with using it. Which, as adaptation goes, I think is a fair principle. It's it's a fair principle, and it's also why um, Judas betrayed Jesus, and what they do here is, uh, well, in the Bible, after Judas be um, betrays Jesus, he ends up hanging himself. And where he hangs ends up being an area that is considered cursed to this day, is is um, is what the Bible says. He uses the money that he's paid to buy a field, field. to buy a field, right. hangs himself on a tree, and then that field is considered cursed. Um, here we see demon children, like children who pursue Judas and taunt him and start to like peck at his flesh. And like bite him, yeah. um, and they say that he is cursed. And after encountering those, uh, like personal personifications of demons or of Satan himself, he hangs himself, which is like using, a different using using a rope which yes. is wrapped around a dead cow outside yes. of town. Which again, like according it, to ancient yes. Jewish law, at least That's from the highly Old unclean. Yes, like touching dead animals, dead flesh is like highly not. Not a, not allowed. <laughs> but but I liked that scene. Like I liked that um, personification of how torturous it was and how Judas did ultimately betray Jesus. And look, biblically, we're, we're not going to know how. It does not tell us what was going through Jesus's, uh, not Jesus, uh, Judas's mind as he was betraying betraying Jesus. Having that be part of the um, argument here, I I I liked. I thought it made narrow narrative and dramatic sense. Um, and you know what? It, I I felt 
I felt the torture, honestly, in that scene of him saying, I have betrayed the most important man who has ever lived. So I, I think that scene in particular gets at some of my problems with okay. the movie. Um, I want to say quickly, Luca Leonello is playing Judas Iscariot here. I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, yeah, good performance. And yet I think the liberties that uh, Gibson takes with Judas it is emblematic of my problems, as I said, because it it gives a, it gives the movie a moment of drama that I don't know if it necessarily needed. And it changes, changes things in the adaptation to almost be more more like horrific or action oriented and getting away from that scene specifically i think there's some honest action movie flourishes here based on gibson's career both as an actor and a director there are a lot of slow-mo scenes and i could have done without all of them i completely agree i i made a note to myself it's feeling very it's feeling like a Zack snyder movie yeah yeah, honestly parts of this were you can see snyder whose first movie i believe came out in 2004 so obviously it it wasn't like inspired by the passion but you can You can see him. Zack Snyder, huge passion of the Christ man. Catching this movie, part of the six hundred twelve million dollars at the box office, and just like smiling and nodding, like Gibson gets it, man. Slow motion is the future, and it might be. Yeah, we'll get there eventually because we're slowing down time. But I think that, like you said, the slow motion flourishes don't really add anything to the movie, and. They stretch out what is already an agonizing experience watching Jesus be brutally tortured. But but this is okay, so this is this is a question I have for you with you saying that ask, then. Ask, hit me. Um the, the um and and not in terms of the filmmaking, not in terms of the direction, but but part of your problem was in the adaptation that you did not think that scene was needed. Um are you are you saying because it doesn't make the film that cohesive? Because the the adaptation for for um, um, the Last Temptation of Christ, which sure was not adapted directly from the Gospels, but was adapted from a book that was adapted from the Gospels. So you're only a level removed. I mean, <laughs> okay, they do say it's a fictional exploration. They, they, to be fair, they <laughs> they do say that, but it it um I I don't think the Last Temptation of Christ is fully cohesive, and I do think that um. I, I'm wondering how you viewed it, the difference in the two adaptations then. They both seem to be taking some liberties. Yeah, they absolutely are. And, and I think, again, my problem here isn't that Gibson took liberties. It's that, and I do think it's a cohesive film. I think okay. it is a consistent tone throughout. There's, yes. there's no weird laugh lines or anything like that. This is a very serious movie. And despite that, I think that what Gibson is going for with this dramatic graphic violence and the ways that the the violence affects the filmmaking whether it's a slow motion flourish or lingering on a blood splatter something like that there's a moment where Jesus is being whipped and scourged and this maniacally laughing Roman soldier gets a splash of blood on his face and it's kind of kind of gross in a horror movie kind of way and I'm not sure that I want to feel that specific feeling while watching a movie about the Passion of the Christ. Now, that's not to say that this this event 
I mean, regardless of like if Jesus was really the Messiah, if Jesus was God, I mean, we have his, you know, his history says this man was probably crucified by the Romans. And so we're like putting ourselves in the shoes of people who were there watching this gruesome graphic event, it probably was that gross. But I just, I think that I'm trying to find the words to describe what I'm saying, but like taking these violent flourishes and putting them into the movie is a a cohesive tone that Gibson is going for, but it's not one that worked for me. It was more off-putting than it was getting me to connect with the movie in a, a more emotional or spiritual kind of way. So let me let me then state this. Watching this film, I didn't cry, but my eyes did get watery. Got misty in the room. And had I seen it, in a theater and again I would have been way too young to watch this right yeah you and I both were small children at the time it was originally released and it probably would not have been a good idea for our parents to take us to see it I mean had I been of any competent age to watch this when it was released I do think I would have sobbed and I I I don't cry in movie theaters I have a distaste for faith-based films this is something this is a biblical epic this is not a faith-based film um it's both it's both it's, it's like but i know but what you, you mean it, in it, that, it, like, it's not like the modern day uh, you know melodrama soap yeah like faith-based film is is like a genre unto itself it yeah. means something very specific yes. and this is not a quote unquote faith-based film in the way that something like facing the giants is or something like god's not dead god's not dead i have a, an allergic reaction whenever that to, someone mentions that movie and i'm in a lot of christian circles and many <laughs> of them love that movie and I, I can't stand it i've never seen it and i'm not sure if i will it, but... it, it has um <laughs> the the boyfriend from good luck charlie i that was past my time with the Disney Channel. Ah. <laughs> uh, what's weird is that it wasn't past my time and I saw every episode, but I'm only one year younger. Well, that's just how things go sometimes. Regardless, this is still, of course, a faith-based movie, especially yes. given that like Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel both were like not on the campaign trail for awards, but like out doing press for the movie. They were they were probably campaigning. No, they like yeah, here's sure. the thing. They were you um you could say that campaigning is not your chief prerogative but 10 out of 10 times you're gonna do something if you think it'll get and and you know what like let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt this movie got nominated for three oscars and so for the rest of time if you look up oscar nominees anything that is tangentially related to the oscars this movie is amongst those titles and so it did elevate its profile now Outside of that, major film critics both hated but also loved this movie. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm i not... I'm sorry, I'm looking over. You have Tarantino Cinema Speculation? Yes. Yes, I do. Have you started it? I've read most of it, in fact. Wow. Okay. So, um... <laughs> Bring Christian back from the rabbit trail. <laughs> the... This... Let, 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 let me go into my biases, in, 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 into why I'm predisposed to like this movie. I think it captures what I believe to be the greatest injustice that has ever occurred in the world. Because of my faith. Um, really, really sincerely. And even though it is overdramatic 
maybe too long at different times, uses slow motion to accentuate scenes that by themselves could have stood, um, takes liberties that I don't truly think added a ton to the movie. It elicited emotions from me. It made me care about what had happened to this individual. It made me believe that he had a purpose to him, that he believed what he was saying. And it made me understand why it is that the people around him, when they looked on, looked on with the most horrifying views. Or even um, what also sticks with me is when his mother and his brother are looking at him near the end. Um, I will not deny that the movie, despite all of its many flaws, I think is really strong. I, I do. And maybe this is, this is, I actually, no, it's not. Um, I, I was going to say, maybe this is just for the people who have this belief, but it's, it's clearly not considering how many people who didn't loved it. Um, in, if, if we got more serious, <laughs> actually, um, people, I don't know, someone who actually knows what the faith is about making movies about it and not just a cheesy one about how all of faith is, is contained within a football team, I would be happier. Yeah, to, the, to this film's credit, it is not cheesy. Yes. It's not really not at all. preachy either. Like... Uh, yes, it does begin with a verse from the book of Isaiah. Um, you know, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. But there's there's not like a moment at the end of the movie where, <laughs> unfortunately, similar to Sound of Freedom, that where that movie controversially includes Caviezel out of character talking to the audience over the credits and encouraging them to invite other people to see the movie. There's nothing like that here. Where My soul left my body at that moment. I'm like, there's no way this is real. <laughs> and so there's nothing here where, uh, where you know, Caviezel over the credits, uh, now that he's uh, Jesus is resurrected, is saying like, hey, everybody, bring your families to the Passion of the Christ. Uh, there's, there's nothing really particularly preachy about it. The most preachy it gets is actually, there's really one scene one shot that actually i think is one of the better moments in the movie where mary the mother of jesus is holding his dead body and just like raises her vision into the camera and the movie breaks the fourth wall as she stares into the camera and you can understand what i understood is that they're trying to get you to engage with this story after you've witnessed this like horrific execution and torture of jesus christ they are asking you as a viewer to to not insert yourself into it, but to reckon with it. And obviously, for the many people in the Christian faith, there is an evangelistic portion of wanting to share your faith and invite people into it. And that is the, the lone, like, preaching evangelistic moment in this movie to me. And I think that all faith-based films would, would credit themselves to try to make high-quality films for everybody, um, that are centered maybe on, on a message, but without really being preachy. Because, um, there, okay, yeah. there's a difference between being preachy and sharing a message. Yes. And, I mean, to be, to be fair, you can look at something like Don't Look Up, which I promise... I think is one of the most evangelical movies that has ever been made. Exactly. I was going to say, Don't Look Up, a movie that was beloved by many, nominated for Oscars, but had some 
uh, some very negative reviews from prominent critics who shared its liberal politics, who simply said this movie is so heavy-handed. Even you know, even though I, sh- I, a movie critic, can like agree that we need to do something about the climate, that this is a terrible way of going about it. And so, you know, heavy-handedness is often criticized on both sides of the aisle. Sometimes I like a good heavy-handed movie, but I, I, I do appreciate the approach here. And I will say, kind of what you were, what you were getting at a minute ago about how it's because of your faith, because of what you believe, that it makes the movie like there, there is something else to connect with in that way. Um, I think it was almost hard for me to watch this as just a movie because mm-hmm. I, I was raised in this, again, not Catholic, but like raised Protestant, raised Christian, and now have a faith of my own. And there are things that I've evaluated and, and reevaluated and changed from my past, but I still consider myself a Christian. And so it's hard to watch this movie and treat it as just a movie because it's this story that I've heard for 28 years, basically, <laughs> recaptured in movie form and but not just one like a historical event recreated like i can watch a movie about the revolutionary war and evaluate it as a historical film versus an entertaining movie and so on and so forth but this is much deeper like spirituality and the things that that drive you and make you you so it was almost hard to connect with um as a movie you know it's easier to connect with in other ways um I mean, even, like, I've seen scenes of it before because they would play it at, like, youth events that I went to growing up. <laughs> there was a moment this was played at my school, mm. which was a 7th grade through 12th grade school, and two of the 12-year-old 7th graders in attendance passed out because they were watching an incredibly graphic R-rated film in a school chapel. Pro. So, yeah, <laughs> not, not uh, an excellent usage there, shall I say, but... It is really sometimes difficult to like engage with a movie like this when it's so close to something that is also close to you as a person. There, there's, there's something else. Um, now, Mel Gibson was against subtitling this movie, which is utterly insane. But <laughs> kudos to you, Mel. Um, he well, that's one of the reasons he didn't think it would make any money. Um, he because he thought that watching the passion itself wouldn't require you to know what words were being said and there are it, it, it's very action like the the, the 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 verbiage is active even without I, I feel like I could have guessed the context or emotions of most of the things that were said within this film had I not had those subtitles I will say this though there's a, this movie is subtitled but there's a moment when the Romans are torturing Jesus and scouring him, where the subtitles stop. Now, there, are, there there's a reason behind this. They stop the subtitles because the um, Romans are speaking crude and nasty language, and he did not want to include what they would have actually said for people to know. However, the, I, I, that, that made that scene almost more potent for me. Not knowing what anyone was saying but knowing that one of them was giving them the order to beat Jesus, knowing that they were beating Jesus with smiles on their faces, knowing that Jesus was there on the ground struggling, knowing that there were people on the opposite looking over. And, and it, 
like I like I know the reason, but this would have if 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 they told me that they cut it for emotional effect, I would have been like, "You're a genius," because I was hooked into that scene more so than almost any other scene in this film. I I mean, I think the scourging scene in particular is it's one that I'm so mixed on because that okay well that scourging scene or the um it, it's weird he's being tortured a lot yes so are 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 we are you talking about that um non-subtitled scene is i mean i i'm my memory may be betraying me here it we're talking about the scene where he is like chained into that stone pedestal in the middle of the courtyard and they need to stop them from fully killing him yes yes okay yes yes so that scene in particular really underscores my problems with the movie in that it is excruciatingly violent. Um, <laughs> and as our friend Paul Yoder, you said last week, it, this is the most literal usage of the word excruciating <laughs> because it, I, I think that term is I mean, related to crucifixion. So yes, excruciating in the most literal sense, watching Jesus be whipped and then have his back ripped up by this part, this, this particular tool, which has, sharp bits in the ends of it to rip the flesh like that scene goes on a very long time and we also get introduced to some of these roman soldiers who then follow us or we follow through the rest of the movie and they are so cartoonishly evil that it took me out of the movie every time we kept returning to one of these guys faces and i have no doubts that the I mean, the Romans were an occupying force in, in ancient Israel at this time. I'm 100% confident that these guys, many of them were just grunts who probably wanted to take advantage of the fact that they were in charge and they were in power. They probably mistreated people, let alone when they were actually torturing one of them and preparing them to be executed. But even so, it's, it's just one of those flourishes that Gibson makes that I think doesn't actually serve the central story. Okay, so then let me ask you. I can understand that criticism. What about the cutting of the subtitles? I, I wanted, I, I, and, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. I, I just actually want to know it, what your thoughts were on it, that choice. That, in, that scene in particular, I cannot even remember that moment. Interesting. Okay. Like, it, it didn't make a profound impact on okay. me. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, where like Gibson did drop it there, and in and, and light of some of the things that they were saying, not wanting to translate it, and you know, there are people who may have been affected by that in, in in concert with the graphic violence, and it could have been too much. Like I understand that, but it's also just not something that made a particular impression on me. Okay, so then th this is also where the film did something that maybe decreased its quality as a film but increased my, I don't know, emotional response or appreciation to what they were doing. Um, this, the letting, having me sit through so much of this torturous thing, and again, from a faith-based background, from someone who practices the faith now, is, is, is almost an indictment because it's easy to not know when you get to that part of the Bible. It's depending on which gospel you're in. It doesn't last more than two chapters to not know the severity of what it is it wants to portray to you. 
And so in doing that, it is kind of reaching over and saying, hey, this thing that you've skipped over, or even people in real life who do not practice the faith, but just think of Jesus as a historical figure who died. No, like this isn't just a regular death. You might know what the, the word crucifixion is a word, but you don't know how awful crucifixion was. Um, it's drawn out at times. Yes, they are cartoonishly evil. And yet I did feel like this is probably as accurate a portrayal as I'm ever going to get and made me think about those chapters that I've read countless times differently. So it, I don't know. It's almost like uh, sacrificing part of it to accentuate something else. Yeah. I, I mean, I think with, the Last Temptation of Christ, for example, one thing that really stood out to me with that film is I was able to put myself in the shoes of somebody who was just hearing Jesus teach in a way that I never had been able to before, despite, again, hearing, reading this or hearing it preached on, like, whatever you want, however I encountered it many, many times. That was new for me. In the same way that I feel that, like you said just now, part of the intent behind making it was showing people how awful this was for Jesus Christ in particular. And there are things about his crucifixion that were worse than other crucifixions, which is already a, like a horrifically brutal way to execute someone. Yeah. The crown of thorns that is pressed into Jesus's head did not get pressed into anybody else's head to the best of my knowledge. I'm sure that they didn't invent that tactic for him, but they, they that's one thing in particular that made his death more painful also being whipped and beaten within an inch of his life. Normally these guys were mistreated, I'm sure, but they also were being taken to be executed. They had to lug their own crosses up a hill, so I'm sure that they didn't like almost kill them. And, and Jesus in particular, this is depicted in the movie, at first Pontius Pilate, who is the, the Roman governor over this area, he tells the soldiers, like, just beat this guy to a pulp. Like, don't kill him. I'm not going to execute him, but I want this like angry mob to receive something uh, that they, they do want this guy to be punished in a way. And so naturally he wouldn't have been beaten this heavily and scourged so brutally if he wasn't going to be, you know, crucified. Um, so there, there are moments uh, that make Jesus's death worse and seeing a, a visceral portrayal of that is helpful in a way. And again, what I always, what I keep getting back to is that, and like why I don't hate this movie is I think that there is value in depicting this, but I think more negatively, it's the indulgence in the graphic violence that then takes it past a certain point where I, uh, as much as I can say, I understand how viciously brutal this must have been. And this is a good depiction of that taking some liberties sure but also we don't have a step-by-step -step account we have you know some biblical chapters on it i do think that as you're taking liberties i'm not sure if we needed the, the blood splattering on someone's face or people literally sopping up jesus's blood um from where he is whipped and i, I think that is something more connected to the Catholic faith than the Protestant tradition. Um, we 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 do focus less on the passion and more on the resurrection. Yes, like in in, in, in even in the um and someone told me this. I don't know how 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 true it is. Most Catholic crosses that you see will still have Jesus on it. Right, like the the crucifix, which the crucifix horror movies have made <laughs> you know, infamous. But yes, the crucifix Protestant itself. 
crosses are just the cross. Right. Um, there, there's, there's something else um, here. Like I, 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 yes, I can easily call this movie with that it has gratuitous violence, but I can also say that that gratuitous violence is is kind of consistent. Well, I mean, okay. So, do you actually find the violence gratuitous? Not because, at all. Not really. No. Okay. So then, don't say that you find it gratuitous. You know, because I, I, well, I, I guess there's... maybe the better word then is I can understand why someone would say that. But I think gratuitous means it didn't need to be there. And for them, it's like to show you the full horror, it does need to be there. And I am on that camp. And so it's like, I get it if it's too much for people. And it is too much for people. I want to address something else. Um, The anti-Semitism charges that have been labeled against this. Yeah. So just to sort of lay this case out somewhat objectively. Yes. Critics... Uh, uh, people specifically criticizing the movie for its anti-Semitism note the the portrayal of the Jewish high priest and, yes. and like the other people who bring Jesus to trial, give him to the Romans to be tried, and um, eventually pressure Pontius Pilate, the again the governor, into crucifying this otherwise innocent man or like person who wasn't supposed should not have been right. killed by the state. Yeah. And critics have pointed out the ways that the Jewish characters are portrayed as much more insidious, almost, than they are in the Bible. Uh, in terms of specifically applying political pressure onto Pilate. There's one, I, there's a couple important names, um, but it's sometimes hard to pick out who is who because things are kind of moving quickly and they don't say their names very often, but like high priests who almost like, sneer and like wickedly smile I mean, Caiaphas is the main one yeah Caiaphas I believe is yeah the main high um, priest and that is uh, more connected to an anti-semitic tradition than a, a more common understanding of the bible which is that Jesus was executed by the Roman state which is what happened okay so the this group is portrayed as sinister and, and and almost in like stereotypically vicious form um and if if there were any things here and i'm not that familiar with the tropes that they are specifically pointing on to being anti-semitic as they were portrayed within this film itself um that could have been taken out of the movie that i'm all for them having not been filmed and shot that being said um it, it is it is hard for me to label this film as anti-Semitic when Jesus and his followers and the people looking on at him and his family were Jewish and not portrayed in that light. Um, and so I I think that that, yes, I think that the high priest was evil and portrayed as evil within this. I think that his followers were not evil and not portrayed in that way and so it's i'm it's it's a it's a point where maybe it's that i just don't have the background or the knowledge i didn't see it that way i like the same way that the 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 roman grunts were portrayed as cartoonishly evil but pontius Pilate himself and some of the other roman officials were not and, and I think that we're getting multiple different views of these different people and not one that I can pinpoint everyone on. Yeah, and what this gets at is a larger principle that I, 
I really believe about watching movies, which is that especially if you hear that something is controversial for one reason or another, uh, movies accused of being racist or sexist or some other kind of objectionable quality, uh, especially one that you try to avoid in your own everyday life, <laughs> that in many cases, I still say it is worth watching the movie and evaluating things for yourself. Don't treat your own opinion as law, obviously, like be open to what other people will say and, and, and what, what kind of feedback, you know, your, your camp gets on something controversial. But as we have said, this, like the Passion of the Christ was protested and criticized before it came out, during its run in theaters and after it came out, especially after Gibson's own uh, comments that he made in 2006 that were like explicitly anti-Semitic. Yes. Um, which many people then turn around and said, well, what about this movie? Which, you know, this is two years ago. Um, but of course, as we mentioned, Roger Ebert himself uh, gave this movie four out of four stars and Ebert was generally a pretty liberal person, not particularly religious. And many other critics appreciated this movie and, and gave it positive reviews and understood the allegations against it and still waded into it. And... I, uh, it's something that I, uh, like, sort of like you said, I just don't have all of the knowledge myself. Where I was watching it, I didn't find it, like, blatantly anti-Semitic. But for Jewish people watching this movie, I, I wouldn't say, like, what are you talking about? This isn't there. Because there there is even, like, you can look up some of the background on this. There are There is even, like, Catholic people who watch this movie and said, this is anti-Semitic. And, like, right. it goes against some principles that Catholics had previously abided by in terms of portraying the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, so, yeah, it, it is it is tricky. I, I think, again, it's worth watching the movie and evaluating for yourself. And that's yeah. generally a principle I try to live by. Um, yeah, I liked it. I like this movie. I, I, and I, I don't know. I, I think I went into it thinking I'm not going to be a big fan. The Passion of the Christ is almost like a joke right now. It's almost like a, oh yeah, Mel Gibson did that movie where he just shows Jesus being crucified. Um, this is way more than that. I am going to be real. I don't think I've ever heard this movie used in a joking context, but except for an episode of South Park, which very explicitly jokes about this movie. But well, I mean, M Mel Gibson with controversy. Also, looking at the movies that he has made, is the uh, um, been in and directed. Let's go with directed. Also, he directs Braveheart. He directs this. Then directs Apocalypto. Indeed. Like this is. This is not a normal man. I mean, don't forget about Hacksaw Ridge, either. Uh, Nominated for Best Director. It starred Andrew Garfield. He has a movie. I think that he's directing another movie coming out later this year, I want to say. And, of course, there are plans for Passion of the Christ 2, The Resurrection. Yeah, I don't exactly understand why they are producing The Resurrection story 20 years later, as Jim Caviezel is now 20 years older. <laughs> and going okay, to okay, okay. To, to he, play Jesus again. He looks good still. Like sure, but like that. that honestly, twenty years you can tell someone is aged two decades. I, I, I will say this though, when 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 Jesus is being scourged, and I look at him, and I'm like, this man has biceps. I don't know if he should. 
I don't know if Jesus was lifting or not. Like, I mean, I don't know if real Jesus, Jesus was lifting. Was a carpenter, so while he wasn't lifting, he was a he was working with his hands, moving wood and Look, like using tools. So he would have just, probably been a little bit naturally muscular. I'm 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 just saying, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly thought Caviezel looked like almost sickly at times because oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, ultimately, I think. The Passion of the Christ, it, it, it's, it is a, it's such an interesting, like, movie that exists out in the world. For all of the reasons that we talked about, for its, like, for how it is particularly beloved in a lot of Christian circles, especially, and despite the fact that it was a phenomenon, like, made $600 million at the box office in 2004, I mean, that's, that is, that's a lot of money. It was, I think, the fifth or sixth biggest movie at the box office that year. Okay. Um, you know, it, it is this big object, and maybe it is worth seeing, you know, but um, it, it is one of those where if you have a curiosity about it, I would recommend checking it out. If you are a Christian person in particular, like it could be, you know, useful as a, as a spiritual or faithful experience. But although Roger Ebert gave it a four out of four, I'm, I'm, I'm not with him on that one. <laughs> and I am curious how... I really, I don't know. Like, I'm curious, just, what, if we were to sit down with someone else. Yeah. Like, like if we were to sit down with someone we knew who was not a Christian, um, and, like, see what they thought about this movie in 2024. I think that there are things that they would respect from this movie, and I don't think, actually, that's not, I'm thinking about some of my friends right now, and I think that there are things that they would see in this film that they would like. I can also think of some friends who would probably hate the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... Let me check Letterboxd. <laughs> Christian's going to check Letterboxd to give us uh, some live reactions. Mel Gibson is uh, directing a movie called Flight Risk, which is an upcoming thriller film starring Mark Wahlberg, Topher Grace, and Michelle Dockery. Now, filming uh, occurred for two days? In, oh, two days in Nevada. And also in Alaska. <laughs> And principal principal photography was in Las Vegas. And SAG-AFTRA granted Gibson and the writer, Jared Rosenberg, approval to film during the strike. Which means they abided by SAG-AFTRA's terms. Which, hey, good on you, Mel Gibson. This... This is, um... This movie might come out this year. Well, that perhaps is... we'll, uh, we'll get around to our guy Mel later this year. I mean, and even to the point of like Gibson being a, a film, like a controversial post cancellation filmmaker, even with with that, obviously, act according to your principles. And if you don't want to support a filmmaker. Most of the people who I follow on Letterboxd like it. The majority have given it four stars one, three and a half, and one, two. I, from what I can recall, I've seen uh, two star ratings and lower. I've seen a few four and a half star ratings from people I follow. So yes, very divergent reaction on this one. Dang. Um, but with yeah, with Gibson, obviously, act, act and watch according to your principles. Yes. If you have severe problems with him, and you, I mean, a lot of people were not pleased when he was nominated for best director at the Oscars a few years ago. Uh, just in light of you know, who are we honoring? Who are we awarding? Um, and, Has he said he's sorry? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering. I believe he has, um, but regardless. Uh, obviously, like we don't want to just skip past no, the no, fact no, no, no. that he's... Not, uh, not skip past. 
this goes into a um this i think this goes into another realm where you know if you're gonna have all the information have all the information the man disappeared for a while partly because i don't think anyone in hollywood wanted to touch him no i mean and he he took a lengthy break from acting good um, very very long time yeah he had a, a cameo role in something in 2003 and did not have another like lead role or supporting role anything until 2010 when he appeared in a movie called edge of darkness so took a very lengthy break the, the controversy uh, he couldn't beat shall we say which apocalypto came out in 2006 which is also the year that he was you know yeah. captured making these anti-semitic comments and so yeah he was he was like legitimately canceled like he was hollywood blacklisted for his uh for his he, behavior um eventually he returned to acting indeed again 2010 he, like he had edge of darkness come out and, and never reached uh, a point where he was as big as he was in the 80s and 90s, but... Especially with Mad Max. No, right. Yeah. And, but re- and Lethal Weapon and stuff. But returned to regular acting work, at least. Um, what you view on someone there... I mean... Uh, I... I, uh, I... I don't know. Like, honestly, this is a different conversation. Because I can think of... Two prominent actors who have made fun of Inuritu and told him to go back to his country. Um, who are still very prominent and working today. And so I'm like, well, that I don't think you should have said. I also don't know if you've ever apologized for it. And one of you is on track to be nominated for an Oscar this year and potentially win it. So it it, it it's... Go... You make your own decisions have have all the information and this movie I, I it's the sad truth about hollywood is yeah. that many 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 people who work in and are successful in hollywood are not good people and if you want to live in a world where you only watch movies made by and starring morally upstanding people that's going to almost be impossible to do so the point is not to disengage yes and say, whatever, I'm gonna, I don't care. Woody Allen is my favorite filmmaker. You know, like the point is not to <laughs> completely disregard all context, but the point is also not to say, like, not to overly moralize and say, I will only watch movies with, uh, without this actor or this writer or whatever it would be, because of course we learn bad news about people all the time. Uh, that is The Passion of the Christ, which is currently. It's, it's gonna be, it, it's on Prime and Tubi. Yes. And Tubi? I, th- I think I saw that it was on Tubi. Good for you, Tubi TV. But yes, currently streaming on Prime, as well as Apocalypto. So if you'd like to follow up with another Mel Gibson historical epic in an estimation of an original language, uh, you can have a little double feature for yourself. Um, it, it's a great lead-in to the movie we're going to be discussing next week. Yes. So, Christian, we have had two very serious weeks here on the podcast looking at Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ and Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. And so we are going to significantly lighten the mood as we get into our final week of January with Jesus, as we will be discussing a new release, that movie being The Book of Clarence, directed by James Samuel, which is in theaters now, as well as discussing The Life of Brian, which is a Monty Python movie of a similar premise uh, for Life of Brian, it follows a, a average Jewish man who is not Jesus Christ gaining the reputation 
of the Messiah, sort of in parallel to Jesus. And the book of Clarence is about a man who is jealous of the fame that Jesus is acquiring. And so he sets out to, uh, you know, build himself up as an alternate uh, alternate Messiah figure, shall we say. So we're going to take a, a comedic and satirical look <laughs> at Jesus Christ, where he is not as explicitly portrayed um, and not the central character, but is a figure in the movie featuring these uh, these other people at the center. So should be an interesting time. I've not seen Life of Brian. You have, from what I gather, yes? I No, I've only seen Holy Grail. Oh, okay. So this will be a big Monty Python moment for us. Maybe Paul has seen it and he recommended it last week. But Life of Brian is on Netflix right now. I would go check it out. I'm, I'm sure it will be gone before the end of January. I'm not even sure if it's going to leave at all, but I'm just saying check it out on Netflix there and catch The Book of Clarence in theaters. It's been out. By the time you're getting this episode, it'll be out for a week or two. So do check that out and we will talk about it next week on the show. So until then... Thank you for listening, folks. We genuinely, sincerely appreciate it, especially as we wade into these controversial waters talking about movies about Jesus. So (laughs) thanks for coming along for the ride with us. Uh, Of course, there are a few things that you can do to support the show that we would greatly appreciate. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review, if applicable to your service of choice. Helps us grow and reach new listeners, and we also just sincerely appreciate the support And it means a lot to see people leaving positive reviews and giving us five stars, all that sort of fun stuff. So thank you if you have done that, and please do go do that if you have not done so yet. You can also send us an email to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. We are regularly checking that inbox looking for listener feedback. If you have a particular portrayal of Jesus or another biblical epic that we're not going to get to on the podcast this month, but you want to give a shout out, let us know. We'd love to hear that. If you have thoughts on any of the movies we've discussed, we'd love to hear that as well. And of course, if you have ideas for either movies you want us to talk about on the show or kegs that we should tap and uh, spend a month looking at a particular actor, director, or genre, we'd love to get your thoughts on where to take the show in a in 2024. So please do send us your thoughts to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, I normally ask if you have any final thoughts to the folks listening along at home, but I have a little trivia question for you to end the show today. Okay. Do you know which film defeated The Passion of the Christ at the Oscars and won Best Makeup? And won Best Makeup? Yes. Men in Black 3? Men in Black 3 did not come out until much later, no. Men in Black 2? No. The, the movie that did, in fact, win was Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Jim Carrey with a, with a hook nose defeated uh, Bloodstained Jesus. I'm against that. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not okay with that. You'll have to wrestle with that, Christian. But until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening.